When I was in high school, I hated Sweet 16s. Me and my friends would never go to any Sweet 16s. I don't like dancing, so so that was a big reason why. But here's the real reason why I hate Sweet 16s. And here's the real reason why you hate Sweet 16s. It's because of the speeches that we have to listen to. Those two-hour-long speeches about inside jokes that no one knows anything else about. Um, it's, It's just the absolute worst. I remember one time I was at a Sweet 16, and this is no lie, and this is probably one of the last ones I went to. This girl was giving her speech, and in the middle of it, she was talking about her mom. She's like, actually, I just really hate my mom so much. Like, she is the worst person I know. And her mom started yelling back from the audience, and now they are fighting in front of everyone, and I'm just like, so what's for dessert? Like, what's going on? Like, this is so incredibly awkward. But all Sweet 16 speeches start just like this. <laughs> um, I hate public speaking. <laughs> it's like every single one starts exactly like that. I've never heard a Sweet 16 speech that didn't go like that. And my mom was forcing me to go to one when I was in 11th grade. She said, you have to go to this one. And so I called up all my friends. I was like, look, we got to go to this. I can't be the only one there. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll definitely be there. And I walk in and I make sure I got there late. And I am the only one there that I know. And I'm like, I'm going to have to talk to people and, like, be nice and, like, make friends and do all these different kinds of things. And I was like, I might even have to dance. Like, no, I don't want to do this. It was the worst. And actually, I was really glad I went to that Sweet 16 because that was one of the first nights that me and Jess had ever really hung out before. So that ended up working pretty well for me that I went. I'm thankful to my mom that she forced me to go. But I was so mad at all my friends for abandoning me at that Sweet 16. So, uh, and I think that a lot of us, know what that's like, to feel abandoned by our friends or or someone that you know. And that's a really terrible feeling to get sometimes. Some of you guys have friends that have just given up on that relationship. They just decided that it wasn't working for them, that you weren't bringing enough to the table maybe, and they kind of cut off that friendship. It's a difficult thing to go through. Some of you guys know what it's like to be betrayed by a friend even. Someone said some hurtful things about you behind your back and and it got to you. And you were devastated because of that. That this person had abandoned all the years that you had put into this relationship for a couple of words that were mean against you. And that's a really difficult thing to go through. And then for some of you guys tonight, it's much deeper than that. You know what it's like to be abandoned by a parent. Maybe your dad or your mom walked out on your family when you were really young. And that is one of the most difficult things things that you could ever go through. This person who is supposed to love you and protect you, to be there for you every step of your life, chose to walk out. Being abandoned, it's a really difficult thing that we experience as humans. And sometimes we even feel like God has abandoned us. Some of you guys are in the middle of a really dark situation tonight and you can't help but lift your head up to heaven and go, God, where are you in the middle of this? God, how could you let this happen to me? Where are you? Why have you deserted me in this situation? For some of you guys, you know someone and they're really sick tonight. And that is really hard for you to watch. Someone you love suffer in this way. And you look at God and you say, God, I love you, I trust you, but man, this is so hard. I feel like you've abandoned me in the middle of this. Some of you guys know what that's like tonight. For some of you guys, you're just in a situation that you wish you weren't in. 
that you just feel disappointed on where your life is headed. Maybe you are just failing hard in school tonight and you just feel so disappointed. It doesn't matter how hard you try or how hard you work at it. You just feel like a failure tonight and you feel like God has abandoned you in the middle of this struggle that you're going through. For some of you guys, maybe your family is just going through a really dark time tonight. You're always yelling at each other. You're always fighting and it just seems really difficult. You don't know if your family will ever be normal, and it feels like God has abandoned you in the middle of that situation. Or maybe some of you guys just feel depressed, and you've cried out to God a lot of times, and it just feels like this depression is never going to lift. God, where are you? It's a hard thing that I think a lot of Christians wrestle with sometimes. Is God, have you abandoned me in the middle of this? Some of you feel like it's just a matter of time before God abandons you because you're such a failure, because you've screwed up so many times. You tried to put that past sin behind you, but it always seems to creep back into your life. You've, you've gone on all the retreats. You've said all the right prayers, but it just seems like you will always struggle with this thing or you're always just struggle with sin in general. And you feel like it's just a matter of time before God looks at you and says, this person is a waste of my time that I'm done dealing with them, I'm done putting up with all their gimmicks and all their tricks, and you just feel like you're a complete failure. So God could no way love someone like you. I think that's something else that a lot of us deal with. And abandonment is such a difficult thing to wrestle with. But this idea of someone giving up or abandoning you or neglecting you actually comes from a word that we don't use much anymore, um, this word forsaken, Last time that your friends um, bailed on you, last time you were hanging out, you didn't go, thou hast forsaken me, right? We, we don't really talk like that anymore. But this word really sums up everything that we have been talking about so far. And what if I told you tonight that there is really only one person who's ever believed in God that really knows what it's like to be forsaken by God? That there's only one person that's ever believed in God that really knows what it's truly like to be forsaken by God. See, for you and I, it's a feeling that we get. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into some scripture tonight. But there really was only one person who knew the full extent of that, who really went through that abandonment with God. And some of you guys know it on an earthly level, but this person didn't deserve it at all. Perfect in every way, but went through that. I have a really horrible pain tolerance. This Tuesday, I had a really bad stomach ache, like, like just like really bad. And I was like screaming out like, sweet Jesus, please take me home. Like I cannot make it through this stomach ache. Like I am not going to survive this. I'm ready, Lord, take me, send down an angel or something. Like I, I'm just done with this. And like I'm telling Jess, like I, I'm going to die. And she's like, are you kidding me? Will you stop? And she's like throwing stuff at me. Like stop whining. You have a terrible pain tolerance. And then like five minutes later, I was eating a tub of ice cream and like it because the pain really wasn't that bad. I was just being dramatic, but I definitely have a very bad pain tolerance. Um, a week ago, um, I had uh, told Jess that there was something on the back of my leg that was like really bothering me and I couldn't see it. So I asked her if she could take a look at it. And that was a giant mistake because what it ended up being was there's this really big pimple on the back of my leg and it hurt so bad. Now, 
This was a mistake because Jess loves pimples for some reason. I, I don't get this. I know a lot of you guys are fascinated by pimples. You guys watch like pimple popping videos on like YouTube and like Instagram and stuff. I, to me, I think that's just like the grossest thing ever. I hate everything about pimples, but this was like a really exciting moment for her for some reason. And so she, she like was like, I need to pop it right now. And I was like, no, don't do it. And so she did it anyway. They say that childbirth is the worst labor No, no, getting your pimple popped by someone else is one of the most painful things that you can experience, man. This hurts so bad. I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to walk again. Like, this pain is just terrible. I can just be super dramatic about pain. But tonight, it's Good Friday, and Jesus had experienced so much pain, and he had what I think was a huge pain tolerance. And I think part of the reason that he was able to have that was because he had his eyes on what was to come. See, Jesus was going through the greatest battle ever. And this battle wasn't fought with swords or guns. This was him suffering on our behalf. And the suffering was so intense. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I think that people neglect about this story is the emotional and the spiritual suffering that Jesus was going through in these moments. It had to be so excruciating for him because he was abandoned by everyone that was close to him. All of his disciples had left him except for one. One of his disciples had betrayed him for some coins. Another disciple who swore to stay by his side no matter what ended up denying him three times. He had been condemned by his people that he had come to save. Everyone had turned their back on Jesus. And so Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned. For everyone to give up on you, for everyone to write you off, for everyone to desert you. And you have to understand this too. What Jesus was carrying spiritually was so intense. He was carrying the guilt of the world. Everything that you and I had ever done was on him. Have you ever felt really guilty for something that you've done before? Did it make you feel really, really sad? Wasn't that really hard to get through? Now, amplify that by everyone in the entire world. That's what Jesus was feeling emotionally and spiritually in those moments and dealing with all of this abandonment from all these people who he cared about. And tonight, we're going to look at some scriptures, and I want the focus to be all on Jesus tonight, all about Jesus and what he went through for us. But I I want you to think about how maybe you feel abandoned tonight, some of the ways that you've experienced it. And at the end of tonight, as as we're starting to wind down, I want to speak to those feelings that maybe you have, because Jesus, through the cross, has something to say about those feelings that you've maybe carried for way too long. So we're going to start in Luke 23. And before we do that, I'm going to catch you guys up because we're jumping towards the end of the story already. Jesus, at this point, has already been turned over to Pilate. Pilate has already turned him back over to the people to be beaten, to be crucified. Jesus has just experienced the crown of thorns coming on his head. He has experienced people just beating him with, their, with his fist 
and they were just mocking him and tearing him to pieces. Now he is being uh, whipped by a cat of nine tails. I'm sure most of you guys are familiar with that. It was a whip that had different parts to it, leather strips to it that they would put glass and nails to and, and, and anything that was sharp. So when you whip the person, it would dig into their body. It would dig into their flesh. And when you pulled out, it would just rip their skin to pieces. It, it was horrible, horrible form of torture. And Jesus stood there without saying a single word, taking this beating, all this pain and this suffering. Then he took his cross and carried it. And then he was nailed to it. Huge nails were driven through his hands and through his feet. And he was put on the cross. And he hung there. A big misconception about the cross is that it was really high up. But when we see pictures painted of this, or we see it on TV, we think that the cross was just really high up. But the truth is it wasn't that high off the ground. And the purpose for that was so that people walking by and that the soldiers could look right in the person who was being crucified's eyes. And they could hurl insults at that person. Oftentimes they would spit at them and mock at them. It was to strike fear into the hearts of people. To let them know how awful it was to be crucified. To look and see the pain, the, that person suffering face to face. And so this is where we catch up in the story. Jesus has been beaten to pieces already. Suffered so much. The Bible says that he was almost unrecognizable as a human. So much he had suffered at this point. And so we're going to start right in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Here is the savior of the world hanging next to two criminals who deserved to be there. And the one criminal is throwing insults at Jesus, mocking him. If you're really the savior, why don't you just do this right now? Just being sarcastic, saying whatever he can in his last couple of moments just to insult Jesus. And the other on his other side realizes that there's something going on here. Why would an innocent man be willing to suffer all of this pain if there wasn't a point to it? And I think that's what started to go through this criminal's head. He's going, all right, we're guilty. We deserve to be here. We've done some really terrible things and we don't even know what these two criminals have done. But I can guess that it's probably something really, really bad. And he's going, all right, I deserve to be here. But I've heard stories about this Jesus from Nazareth. He's done nothing but help people and heal them and bring hope to them. Why would he be willing to die on a cross? This innocent man. And God begins to work on this man's heart. And he begins to have his eyes open through the story of Jesus, which is something that only God could do in those moments. That is the difference between the one criminal and the other criminals, that God began to work 
on this man's heart. And he began to see things for how they really were. And then he says this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Simple cry. But such a beautiful cry from the guilty man who deserved to hang there. Who has bold faith to ask for this. Here he is on the cross. And he goes, you know what? There's something different about this man, Jesus. I have to try this. I think that he will have mercy on me. I see what God is doing in all of this. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's Jesus, and he has suffered so immeasurably at these moments. You know, when, when I like stub my toe, I get nasty to everyone around me. Like I'm just not even fun to be around. And here's Jesus, and he's been beaten up so bad. And he doesn't forsake this criminal who is right next to him. How does that make any sense? This guilty man, here's Jesus in agony. And he looks at him and says, surely today you will be with me in paradise. This man didn't deserve anything from Jesus, yet Jesus gives him everything in those moments. See, God planted this here for a reason. He had sent the two criminals there for a reason. To show you and I that even in our darkest moments, that God will never forsake us. If God is willing to forgive this criminal right here on the cross who has done some really horrible things, if Jesus can have mercy on this criminal, God's not going to abandon you in the middle of your battle today with what you're wrestling with, with that thing that you feel like you're never going to get through, or that memory you can't seem to put behind you, Jesus isn't going to abandon you in those moments. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to neglect you. Jesus is going to have mercy on you. And there was a huge price for that to be true. And we're going to look a little bit further and see more about that price and what it really meant. So now we're going to jump to Matthew's account. And in verse 45, he says this, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. I wonder, at this point in the story, if all the people surrounding and the soldiers realized that something different was happening. Because this wasn't a normal darkness that was filling the land. This wasn't like it's about to rain, so it's getting dark. All of creation was devastated that the creator was dying on a cross. God himself was showing his displeasure with what was going on. But at the same time, the Bible says, it pleased God to do what had to be done to Jesus. But all of creation knew that there was something not right happening. Matthew Henry says this about that verse. Never were there three such hours since the day God created man upon the earth. Never such a dark and awful scene. It was the turning part, turning point of the great affair. Things were about to change forever. Verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out 
in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The full wrath, the full anger of God was put upon Jesus in these moments. And I don't think that Jesus didn't know why God was forsaking him. I think he knew. He was just so appalled. He was so hurt at how horrible it is to be forsaken by God. He's crying out, this is terrible. God, why? Why have you done this? This is so unbearable. Jesus was experiencing the full wrath of the Father. And he had to drink all of the cup of the wrath. And it was a lot. Like I said earlier, Jesus was experiencing the sin of the world. Every single thing that you and I have done was put on Jesus in those moments. And, and I think we hear that sentence and we think, yeah, yeah, everything that we've done. No, I don't think we really comprehend that. That thing that you did before you came to church, Jesus felt that. He felt the penalty of that. It wasn't just this thing that we can write over. We have to stop and pause and think about this for a second because I think that's what helps us get over this story so quickly is we go, yeah, Jesus paid for the whole penalty. No, he experienced each and every sin of every single person on that cross and there had to be a price for it. He had to drink the full wrath of God in those moments. And so, Every lustful thought that you and I had ever had was poured into Jesus' cup during this time. Every lie that you and I have ever said was poured onto Jesus in that moment. Every time you and I have went places we shouldn't have went. We've done things that we shouldn't have done. But let's get really specific because I think Jesus felt it. Every time you guys went to a party and drank and you knew that you shouldn't have, Jesus felt that in that moment. Every time that we've fallen into sexual temptation, every, for every person here who has slept with someone before you're married, Jesus experienced that. Every time we've looked at pornography, Jesus experienced that. For every adulterous relationship, Jesus experienced that. For every single time that we've been greedy, everything, every time you guys talk back to your parents, every angry moment that you ever had was put into Jesus' cup. And God said, someone has to do something with this. There needs to be a penalty for this. And Jesus took the cup of the Father's wrath and he drank all of it. And he finished every single drop for you and I. You know why? So that these things that you and I have done would never have any power over us. That they could never come back and haunt us. The only reason these things have power over us is because we don't believe to the fullest extent of us extent of us that Jesus has really dealt with them fully because he has he has paid such a huge price so that you and I wouldn't have to be haunted by these memories 
that all of these things were put on him. And piece by piece, as he was whipped, he drank a little bit more from the cup. As the nails went through his hands and his feet, he drank more of the Father's wrath. As he sat there and hung, he drank more of it. So that you and I wouldn't be found guilty. He was forsaken by the Father in those moments. Let's go to the next verse. When some of them standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of the men ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to him. This was fulfilling prophecy. This just wasn't Jesus wanting a drink or them giving him a drink. This had been written in Psalms that the suffering servant would have a drink of wine vinegar. And even in his last moments, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy that you and I could look back on. That everything in the Old Testament that was said about him would come true in the New Testament. Every part of this, God was aligning. These aren't just random details that are thrown in. This is prophecy that is coming to pass. Verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. John's gospel tells us that the words that he cried out in that last moment of his life was, it was finished. He had drinking the full wrath of the Father's cup. The Savior of the world had died like a criminal, like a man for you and I on our behalf so that we could be free. Some theologians speculate that the worst pain for Jesus in, in those moments of this whole experience wasn't when he was whipped or when he was nailed to the cross. It was feeling separated from his father. They had been in such close union. Even when he walked on earth, they were so tight. He was always connected to the father. But for the first time, he had truly been forsaken by God. He didn't know the hope and the love of the Father in those moments because he had to experience what it was like. He had to know every inch of what it feels like not to be near God. And that's exactly what hell is. It's not what we picture as this huge fire scene where we're suffering and the devil is torturing you. The worst part about hell is being separated from God forever and ever. And in those moments, Jesus experienced that. So here's tonight's bottom line. What I want you guys to see is that Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that believers would never be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we would never experience those things. Even the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 reminds us that we can, God can never leave us nor forsake us. And so let's talk about what we were talking about earlier. Those of you guys who maybe feel abandoned tonight, you've experienced that. Maybe you feel like God has left you in the middle of a situation. It's just a feeling that you're having. having. Our feelings often lie to us. God hasn't abandoned you in the middle. I know that because Jesus paid a huge price 
so that God would never forsake us, so that he would never leave us. Sometimes it may feel like that for a day or so. There, there's some times where we go through these seasons. But here's what's so interesting about the cross and the resurrection is that it teaches us that God can do a lot in three days. And maybe you feel abandoned today. You feel lost. You feel neglected. You feel like you are just suffering really bad today. Here's what I want you to know from this story is that God can do a whole lot in three days. And whatever you feel abandoned in, give God some time to work on your behalf because he is. It's a promise of the Bible that you can stand upon, that he hasn't forgotten you in the middle of whatever it is. Give those things to him and give him some time and he will work on those things. He produces things in us through those times. Heaven took a deep breath after he had said his last word. And they began to count to three. We're going to go into a time of communion now. Remembering what Jesus has done for you and I. And we're going to watch a video in just a second. And I ask you as the cup and the bread are being passed around, just to hold on to them and to watch this video. And after we're done watching it, I'm going to pray over both these things. You guys can check out this video.